Scripture reading is Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her handmaidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Behold, because I drew him out of the water. morning. It is a blessing to be able to be here on this Lord's Day to worship our God and our Father, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus as we have done this morning, and to sing songs of praise and to petition the throne of God in prayer. It's a blessing to be able to do that with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we do each and every Lord's Day, and we're thankful for your encouragement and the participation that you've had in our worship services so far. We invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Exodus this morning. We'll be starting our study there in the book of Exodus in the second chapter as we just heard in our reading. So if you would be turning there. This day is, is the Lord's Day, but it is also a special day for many of you, especially mothers. And you think about the role of being a mother. That's an important job and task that is really a lifelong commitment. And it is something that I think it's beneficial for us to look at in scriptures because the Word of God has a great deal to teach us about motherhood. It teaches us how we ought to treat our mothers and the commandment that you have to honor your father and mother is something that is supposed to resonate with each and every one of us. That we all perhaps have a mother and father that we should honor that are honorable, and that parents that teach us and mold us and shape us into the men and women that we are today. Perhaps you are a mother, and that you receive that kind of honor. Hopefully you are honored not just one day out of the year, but every day. But it is no secret that today is Mother's Day, and the Bible teaches us that we ought to give honor to our mother and father. We are to give honor to whom honor is due, and I can think of no better or worthy position to have than that of being a mother. So it is good that we honor our mothers, and the Word of God is not silent about the blessings of motherhood. And so this morning I want us to think about biblical examples of godly mothers, of women who were blessed 
because of their role as a mother and how they raise up their children, their commitment to their families. And you think about the benefit of being a child of a good, godly mother. Being the child of a mother who loves you and who has done so much for you and have made certain sacrifices. I'm thinking about my mom this morning, as I'm sure you might expect. And let me tell you, my mom, she, she taught me a great deal. She taught me about logic. She would ask me, you know, son, if everyone else jumped off a cliff, would you do the same? She taught me about logic. And she taught me about genetics sometimes because she would say, son, you're acting just like your father. And I would hear that from time to time. Also, anticipation. Boy, if I messed up, she would say, you better watch out until your dad gets back home. Oh, I had to wait. That was terrible. And then she would sometimes teach me about religion because there would be times that I did something bad. Like I would make a stain in the curtains and she would say, son, you better pray that comes out. Our... Our mothers, they teach us a lot, don't they? But the most important thing that we can have is a mother who teaches us about God and about His Word. And it was reminded of a story of Samuel and Susanna Wesley, who Samuel was a rector and his wife was a daughter of the manse, and although they had nine, altogether they had 19 children, John was the 15th child and Charles the 18th and 11 of their children died. Eight lived. You can only imagine the heartache. The story goes about them that there were precious few conveniences they had. No automatic washers, no electric refrigerators, no running water in the home, no telephone, no radio, no quick means of communication or travel. Yet, Susanna Wesley expected each child to know the alphabet by the time he or she was five years old. At six, he or she started to school in their big living room. And so Susanna taught her children six hours a day from nine to twelve and from two to five. Later, of course, they would go on to other formal schools, including Oxford. But that mother and her diligence to teach her children. She saw the importance of teaching her children day in and day out. She was committed to that. I know that we have several mothers here who are committed to teaching their children, not just secular information, but spiritually, trying to shape and form their children. That is what a good godly mother will do. So this morning, I hope that you will take out your Bibles and study along with me to think about some of the good examples of mothers that we see in the Scriptures. And the first one that we are going to look at this morning is found in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 2. Because there is something that is interesting that has struck me as you read the narrative in Exodus chapter 2 with the birth of Moses. And so much of the book of Exodus, we give attention to Moses and we see how he became this strong, godly leader of among the children of Israel. But that's not where the book of Exodus begins. The book of Exodus begins by 
telling us the story of Pharaoh and how he was trying to kill all of the children, the male children, and the Hebrew midwives, these women who were heroes by fearing God and not fearing the king. And then you have the story of Moses and his birth and the sacrifice of Jochebed and how she was committed to saving her son. In Exodus chapter 2 and in verse 1, it says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. The idea that she saw that her child was beautiful, I'm sure that every mother here remembers when they were first handed their child. And they saw that this is your son or your daughter. And that's the most precious thing to you. And you began to imagine what your child would be able to do. What he would be able to grow up as. What they could accomplish. And Jochebed saw that in her son. She saw the beauty of her son. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, in Hebrews chapter 11, we see that hall of faith and all these heroes of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 23, the Hebrew writer includes Moses' parents and their faithfulness. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. That you have Jochebed and uh, and her husband, that they are seeing their child and they were by faith certain that he was a beautiful child. You know, if you want to really offend a mother, probably go tell her newborn baby is extremely ugly. And that's probably a good way to pick a fight. I've never done that. I'm just suggesting you not do that. But every child, every mother sees that child and that's the most precious thing to them. And every mother thinks that their child is special. But Jochebed did not have vain hopes for her child. She did not think that, well, this is going to be my son who is going to become a great leader of a great empire. She didn't think this is going to become the most important medical doctor that would be able to find all sorts of cures for all sorts of diseases. We might think, when you think of our children when they're born, like they have all the capabilities of becoming a great doctor who can finally find the cure for cancer. Or that they can solve all of the economic woes and fix poverty or whatever we might be thinking about what our child can do. We see all sorts of potential for our children. But I would suggest to you that Jochebed was not thinking about vain things, but that she was thinking as a woman of faith. And she saw her child and she saw in Moses something that God saw in him. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives this sermon and he reports some of the history of Israel. And he goes back and he gives some of the history to Moses. And in Acts chapter 7 and in verse 20, 
Stephen says it was at this time that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. In the book of Exodus and in Hebrews, we learn that Jochebed is seeing the beauty of her son. But in Stephen's sermon, we learn that not only was Moses beautiful in mother's eyes, but also in God's eyes. That Jochebed was seeing what God saw in Moses. And of course, we know in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, that God would later call Moses to lead the children of Israel to lead them out of Egyptian bondage. God would call Moses, but Moses failed to see his own potential then. But what is so important about noticing what the Scriptures teach us about Jochebed is that she saw in Moses what Moses himself did not see. In Himself. And isn't that what every good mother is capable of doing? She sees what her child is able to do for the Lord. Even whenever you may not believe in yourself, even whenever you may not be able to imagine what you can do, Jochebed saw in Moses what Moses failed to see about himself. She saw a leader She saw God's chosen deliverer. She was not going to allow the Pharaoh's plan to kill the male babies to take her son. She disobeyed the king's law. By faith, she trusted in God's protection and help for her child. She set her child in a basket. She let another woman raise her son. Because Jochebed saw hope. She herself being a slave. She saw something in her son that God saw in Moses. She hid him for three months. She placed him in that wicker basket. Placed Moses in the basket in the reeds of the Nile River. She allowed Pharaoh's daughter to raise her child. What The tremendous sacrifice and heartache and the difficulty that that must have been but she saw what God might do through Moses, her child. She saw redemption. She saw salvation. She saw freedom. She saw hope. Later on in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 2 and in verse 9 and 10, as we see that Pharaoh's daughter took Moses and named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. You continue on reading in that chapter about the pains that Israel went through. That in verse 11 it says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And you might think he's talking about the Egyptians. He's been raised by Pharaoh's daughter, but no. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Because his mother was able to be his nurse. He was brought up knowing something about his heritage and who his family really was. 
At the end of chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out in their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. That as the pressure of evil and suffering was mounting and things looked bleak, Jochebed trusted in God. She acted by faith. She was filled with hope for what God might do through her son in the midst of bondage and suffering and their agonizing, the pain. Jochebed saw something that God was going to be able to do. Through her son. And I love the statement there in verse 24. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel and took notice of them. God heard, God remembered, and God saw. He saw Moses. In the very next chapter. God appears to Moses in the burning bush and calls for him to lead his children out of Egypt. What hope she had that God would use her child, not that he would become a star athlete, not that he would become some political person or a valedictorian. She saw someone in her child that God could use a child that could grow up serving the Lord. And if your child is, doesn't grow up to become the CEO of an important company making six plus figures, as long as your child grows up knowing who God is and serving the Lord, that's all that really matters. And that's good enough. A leader among God's people. That's what Jochebed saw in her son. She saw the hope of God bringing salvation and redemption through her son. She's found to be beautiful, and who is beautiful, as Stephen reminds us, was beautiful in the sight of God. But we also see another example of a godly woman in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you would be turning there with me. In 1 Samuel chapter 1. We read about a woman named Hannah. And Hannah was a woman who greatly desired to have a child. But she was barren. And the story of Hannah starts out just incredibly sad. Now here is a woman who wants to have a child. She has married a man, Elkanah, and he had two wives, Hannah and another woman. But it's that second wife that was able to bear children for their husband. And Hannah is barren. She is unable. And Elkanah is... In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 8, he sees Hannah and her struggle. 
And he wants to bring comfort to his wife, but he says the wrong thing, as I'm sure many of us husbands could probably relate to. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 8, in Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better than to you than ten sons? I'm sure his heart was in the right place and we are probably very thankful that we don't get Hannah's reply. We might think a little less of her in that moment. But she continued to wait. In the midst of persecution, She was greatly distressed, it says in verse 10. Prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. The incredible thing about Hannah is that she never gave up though. Because she made a vow to the Lord, it says in verse 11, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. She's praying. She makes a vow to the Lord. She did not want a child just for herself. Very selfless, in fact, here. And so she goes up to the tabernacle, is praying and making this vow. In verse 19 it says, Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. What great faith, what patience Anna had to suffer affliction, to be mocked and to be made fun of. But she knew that when she conceived that this was God answering her prayer. And she fulfilled her vow. It says in verse 28, So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. She brought her son to the priest, Eli, and gave him, left him there. And you read in chapter 2 the song of Hannah and her song of thanksgiving and how she praised God. In verse 1, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. What is amazing about the story of Hannah is I think sometimes we imagine that patience is this passive activity. That we tell our children, we tell adults, we tell everyone, you just need more patience sometimes. That you need to learn patience. And we think of this as just something that we do and we just have to wait and we're passive in our patience. But I would suggest to you that the biblical picture of patience is embodied in Hannah. And it's not passive. It's anything but passive. 
passive. That she is praying to the Lord. You look at this list of things that we have on here. She is patiently waiting and praying to the Lord. She commits and makes a vow to the Lord. She says, God, it's my son is going to be yours. And then whenever she recognized that she was pregnant, she thanked the Lord and she said, the Lord has heard my prayers and answered them. She recognizes what God has done. She obeyed. She fulfilled her vow. She kept her word. And then she praised God. That is what patience looks like. In the midst of sorrow, sadness, and oppression, Hannah's patience and faith is remarkable. She becomes an example to all of us in learning what patience is and waiting for the Lord's timing. I can't help but think about Mothers who have lost a, a child in miscarriage or, or in another kind of way. Or maybe it is that you desire to have a child, but you're barren. Hannah is a remarkable example to look to. Because the Bible is not silent about the challenges of barrenness. And she is an example of heroic patience. Of someone who trusts in God to answer her prayers. You think about women who were barren in the Scriptures for a long time. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, the wife of Manoah, Samson's mother. All of these women eventually did have children. And they allowed their children to grow up knowing the Lord and allowed God to use their children. God can bless you with a child through patience, perseverance, and prayer. And I'm sure if you ask any one of those mothers, was it worth the wait? I'm sure they would say, yes, absolutely. Think about if you've lost a child, maybe through an accidental death or maybe estranged or stillborn, miscarriage. Keep praying. Pray for God's comfort. Hannah's patience and perseverance are commended here in Scripture. And God is a God of compassion. He sees you. He remembers your afflictions. He remembers the things that you are enduring. And He is a God who answers those things. He responds with grace and compassion. You often say patience is a virtue. And I think in Hannah's case and in every mother's case, a mother's patience is richly rewarded. Hannah shows us what patience in action looks like. and In the story of Hannah, we see God's compassion and the comfort for the afflicted and the wearied. We learn of the reward of diligent trust and waiting for God. I want to consider one final example. though. In the book of 2 Kings, if you would turn there, 2 Kings chapter 4. This mother that we have as an example in Scripture, 
is an unnamed woman. We simply come to know her as a widow. In 2 Kings chapter 4, and begin reading with me in verse 1. So now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go Sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Here is this mother. She has been widowed, and she doesn't try to be uh, creative in starting a new job or new career or something like that. She probably would not have been able to do that in those days. What she does, she goes to Elisha. She goes to the prophet of God. And she says, the creditor is coming. And the only thing I have that is of value, he's going to take my two sons. Imagine being in that kind of position. And so Elisha tells her, he asks her, what do you have that's of value? Do you have anything that is of any kind of value? And she says, I don't have anything except a jar of oil. And what's amazing is that Elisha, I've been thinking about this all weekend, like what could he have done? He could have maybe had God strike the creditor dead. That might have relieved the problem. He could have given her a lot of money. But what Elisha says to her, he says, you take that oil, you go around and you find any vessel that you can. You go to your neighbors and you ask for jars. You ask for them. You find something to put that oil in. And what is amazing is that while there could have been all sorts of solutions, God looks at the solution and says, let's use the thing that she already has. Let's use of her own resources. And then just how she quickly got up, and I I can imagine a woman in that kind of position, she probably would have said, okay, I'm going to go find all my neighbors. In every jar that I can, I'm going to get it in the house. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to find everything that I can. God could have given her money, but He wanted her to go out and find jars. 
And then, you know, verse 7, when Elisha says, go sell the oil and pay your debt. He doesn't just make that debt disappear, does he? He says, now that you have the oil, go out and sell it. Go sell it, pay off the debt, and then you live on the rest. That there was the expectation that you need to be resourceful and use what you have. Use your resources. Depend on your friends and your neighbors. Depend on the community in which you live. This widow was concerned for her children's lives. And you can only imagine the great urgency that she had immediately going to find Elisha to see what he could do to help her. She was obedient in every way to the directions that he offered. She was unashamed to ask for help. This widow was resourceful and resilient. She went to her neighbors and said, can I have this jar? Can I borrow this jar? She did not let pride or embarrassment hold her back. She did not stop to feel sorry for herself. She did not wait for someone else to come offer assistance. She did not give up. She did whatever she needed to keep her family together. You think about that. That she is this embodiment and this example of fierce commitment, of keeping her children. She wasn't going to allow anything to prevent that. She obeyed without question. And she used the resources that she had nearby, trusting and believing that God would bless her. If you have a mother that is like that, count yourself blessed. Because in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 31, in Proverbs chapter 31, the book of Proverbs closes with this picture of this excellent wife, this virtuous woman, whose worth is far above jewels. And it says in verse 28, her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Godly mothers teach their children hope. They teach their children patience. They teach their children resourcefulness. Godly mothers teach us a lot more than that even. And the most important thing that a mother could do is teach her children about the Lord and about Jesus Christ, their Savior. This morning, if you're a Christian, I would go out on a limb and guess that it was probably in part due to a very strong, godly influence.
like one of these mothers. And if you have been influenced by a good, godly mother, that is a reason to praise the Lord and to thank Him. This morning, if you are not a Christian or a child of God, God extends to you an invitation. He extends hope and forgiveness to you. And if you would come believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, repenting and turning away from sin, being baptized in water to have your sins washed away, you can become a Christian today. We would encourage you to do that, to make that choice, to listen to the instruction of your mother and your father, to become a child of God. What great joy that would bring. And if you are a Christian, but you've turned away from serving the Lord, you need to come back to Christ. You need His mercy and His forgiveness. He loves you and He seeks for you to come to return to Him. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as you stand and as we sing?